Well, good morning. Is that as loud for you as it was for me? I'm going to crank that down quite a bit. I think you can pull that all the way out in the monitor, too. I think I've got it up here on the stage, if not. But uh, All right, well, welcome to Vertical Life Church. Man, it feels like it's been a month since I've been up here. I mean, it was just a couple weeks ago, but we got through our Blessed Life series, and I was just encouraged by the response, those that, that were coming up and just saying, man, I never really thought about giving and generosity in that way. And, and I know that it was impactful because I was challenged by it. You would think that someone who studies the Bible for a living, that, that they would have heard things before. God was getting a hold of my heart, my wife's heart. And I know many of you were coming up with, this, with questions, and, and God was just getting a hold of you as well. And um, so I'm just excited that we were able to go through that journey together. And I'm still kind of living on the high of seeing 12 people give their lives to Christ and get baptized a couple of weeks ago. That's something to celebrate. That is an amazing thing. But what's also an incredible thing is last week we took our sacrificial offering. We prayed for two weeks, God, what would you have me to give over and above my tithe? And between our regular giving and our sacrificial giving, we brought in almost $7,000 in our sacrificial offering. That is awesome. And the reason why that's a blessing is because our budget has been a little tight over uh, the last several months. And because of that offering, we are able to bring every line item into the positive. And so we don't have any more negatives that, that, that we're working with, and it's just an awesome thing. So thank you for your faithfulness. I'm just overjoyed to be your pastor and to see the heart of the people in supporting Vertical Life Church and, and what we are experiencing God do here in this place. So now we're, we're in this, this, this season that I've been praying and praying and praying for. We're launching a new series today called Re, and uh, really what we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks is we're going to be talking about the very things we've been discussing in our staff meetings, in our leadership meetings, talking about the, the state of our church and really the vision that God has for our church and what we need to do to press in to that vision. Because we really, we're, we're in a place now where we need to begin to seek to re-engage our hearts as we move forward into this next season, which I truly believe is going to be a building season for us. That God is going to begin to build this ministry and to um, build it up and to help us make a big impact in our community. So there's some things, there's some kind of house cleaning things, but there's some really visionary things we need to have in mind and be working toward together. So this is going to be kind of a, a series to set up where I believe God is taking us and uh, really what God wants to do in and through us at our church here. Um, but when you think of the prefix re, re is a prefix. If you didn't know that, we're going to have a little English lesson. It, it really, it, it brings to mind many words. I'm going to kind of date myself, but if you remember back in the day, there was such a thing as video stores. I think there's really only one now. Blockbuster went out of business. It's kind of a sad thing to drive by old Blockbuster buildings, but there used to be a video store like on every corner and and when you went into the video store, you didn't have DVDs. You had these things called VHS tapes. And uh, I used to work at a video store, and, and so I can kind of relate with this. But uh, in the video store, these VHS tapes, it wasn't just like a start-stop. You actually had to like rewind and fast-forward these tapes. And so when you went into the, the video store, there would always be a sign where you would turn your tape back in, and it said, be kind, please rewind, right? Be kind, rewind. 
And, uh, and, and so I remember how annoying it was whenever we get those back, we'd have to set them in the rewinders and then and put them back on the shelf. I also can think of times as a kid and maybe even you know, now when I play with my kids and, and uh, we're, we're playing a sport or a competition and, and it's your turn and, and you kind of blow your turn, you, you make a blunder and you don't really do well, you say, hey, I want a redo, right? I want a redo. And so re is really attached to these words that essentially mean to go back again, to go back again and again and again, or to, to go backwards, have a backward motion to start over. And we can look at words like, like regenerate, refurbish, retype, retrace, revert, many words that talk about going back and doing something again. So for this series, what we're really going to be doing is we're going to be implementing some really backward motion in an effort to begin again, to begin afresh. And I'm asking the Lord to give us a fresh anointing and fresh eyes as we look again at who we are as a church and what we've been called to do as a church. So before we get into the message, I just want to pray and we're going to unleash the Holy Spirit on this moment. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for gathering us here. Thank you for every soul that's here today. God, I pray you'd be with those who are away on vacation or out of town or weren't able to make it, maybe because of work. And I just pray a blessing on them, Father, that you would continue to unite us by your Holy Spirit, that you would unite us in brotherly love, and that, God, that your light would shine brightly in each and every one of us. Father, you'd continue to work powerfully and move powerfully in our church, and that Vertical Life Church would always be a place that stands as a, an entity that points all of its glory to you, God, that we live that vertical life to live for the glory of God. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And so growing up in church, probably one of the most common verses that was ever preached whenever talking about vision, and especially whenever pastors are leading the church either in a movement or into a new phase, they would often quote from Proverbs 29, 18. In Proverbs 29:18, it's a very familiar passage of Scripture. I'm sure you've heard it. It simply says this. It says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint or become discouraged. Other translations, the King James, it's probably a little bit more common. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And then this is usually what you hear quoted whenever people quote this verse. And God really just kind of brought this out to light and really taught me something new as I was studying this passage of Scripture because there is actually two parts to this verse. It's not just where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. The second part is, but blessed is he who keeps the law. So where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. Now, in order to really understand the book of Proverbs, we have to understand why or how the book was written. The book of Proverbs is not a book filled with promises. I think there are some promises in there. But God used the King Solomon and others to pen the book of Proverbs, to pen wise sayings, to give us guidance on how we should live our lives, how we should interact with other people, how we should submit to authority and lead those under our authority. God, there, there's 30 different Proverbs, and each proverb is just chocked full of wise nuggets and things that we could take and apply to our lives and really live a God-glorifying, successful life. And so when you look at the book of Proverbs, we're not looking at this verse specifically as a promise, because it's not a promise. 
It's not where there's no vision, the people perish. That is not a promise. There's actually the two parts of this verse indicate a wisdom or a wise understanding of what happens to people in and around the idea of vision. And in this passage of Scripture, there are actually two people or two types of people involved in this passage of Scripture. The first are the people who cast off restraint or those that get discouraged. And if you put yourself in the mind of the people of this day, as Solomon was writing to, the think about the, the people of Israel, through Moses, after the Red Sea crossing, the desert wanderings, through that process, God penned the first five books of the Old Testament, which is called the Law. It was, it was the writings. God used Moses as the greatest prophet of Israel, and he wrote the Law, communicated to the people exactly what God wanted them to do. Then when, when Moses was off the scene, other leaders stood up, but God still anointed and called prophets to con continue his revelation. You look at Isaiah, Jeremiah, and, and other prophets, Ezekiel, those that were the mouthpiece for God. So they had the law. They had what God had communicated in the past, but then he also had those that would speak to the people, would advise kings, and be a constant source of revelation and wisdom from God directly to the people. And so with that understanding, and we look at this verse, it says this, where there is no prophetic vision. That's a, a nice way of saying, when God has not spoken for a long time. When God has not revealed, when God has not given a dream, when God has not displayed some marvelous work or, or, or given you a, a you know, step-by-step -step process, when it's been a long time since you feel like you've heard from God, it says people get discouraged. They cast off restraint. In other words, when people are not hearing from God, getting direction from God, the tendency is to begin living by your own wisdom and really according to your own selfish desires. This is where we begin to try to control our situation. God's not coming through. Okay, I'm going to do it my way. But there's a second group of, of people involved in this passage of Scripture, which was very profound for me uh, in looking at what God was revealing. It says, those who are faithful to the law or what God has already spoken are blessed. Blessed are those who are faithful to the law. In other words, there are two groups of people that are experiencing the same thing. There's been an extended period of time where God has not revealed, he has not given vision, but there are those that cast off restraint, said, you know what, I'm going to go my own way. But then there are those who are faithful to what he spoke in the beginning, and those are the ones who are blessed. God communicated the law. God spoke. He gave revelation. This is what I want you to be. This is what I want you to do. And there's an extended period of time where he didn't speak. And the ones who are blessed are the ones who remain faithful the entire way. Blessed is the one who remains steadfast, never giving up hope in the vision God has given to his people. And in the life of a church, there are also two groups of people. This, is, this applies to us as a church, too. You see, there is what is called life cycles in a church. You know, churches are, are often like, you know, you know, God refers to them as a body in 1 Corinthians 12. It's often like a life. There's a birth, there's a maturing season, and oftentimes, tragically, there's also a death. And within the life cycle of a church, there are ups and downs. Anybody been through an up and a down in a church? Right? There are ups and downs. 
Uh, one of the more common ups and downs, there's the, the birth of a church. There's a lot of excitement. People are, are ready to just conquer the world. Everyone's banding together. But about three and a half years into it, what they call the honeymoon phase of a church, and really this happens anytime a church brings on a new pastor. It's not just at the birth of a church. But when the honeymoon phase wears off, that's when all the excitement begins to be discolored by all the frustrations you've accrued over the first three and a half years. What, what seemed to be not so much of a big deal begins to be a very big deal. What didn't matter at first now really matters. And we begin to have tensions and struggle. And it's easy in the life cycle of a church where there's a low point to become discouraged. And with discouragement comes departures. People leave. People accrue a critical spirit. There can be apathy. Well, you know, it doesn't matter. Nothing's changing anyway, so why do I care? There's low energy. No one really is jumping at the bit to get involved or participate. And there's low excitement. You know, people don't even want to shout out amen in the service when you're preaching good. Amen, amen, right? Right, so, so this happens. There, there's low excitement, apathy, and it makes it difficult when, when looking at the future in a low point to remain hopeful. And this is often what it means to cast off restraint or be discouraged. And as we look at this passage in Proverbs, Isaiah also speaks to this very mindset where there's no vision that people perish, where it becomes an extended period of time where it seemed like God was speaking to where now things are kind of wearing off and wearing down. Isaiah, in Isaiah 57, verse 11, he is, he's talking to the nation of Israel. He said this. He said, are you afraid of these idols? Do they terrify you? And, and really, what he's getting at here is, is they did have idols. They did make little carvings and things that they bowed to. They had different gods like Molech and Baal and all these pagan religions that tried to intertwine into the nation of Israel. But when we look at the New Testament, Paul says that some people have made their God their stomach, which reality, an idol is essentially anything that you end up wanting to the point that you worship it. Anything that you want that you worship Versus wanting the one you should worship. When you want something to the point that you worship it, where it determines your life, you revolve your whole life around it, versus wanting the one that you worship. When it becomes over and above what God should be in your place, it becomes an idol to you. And here, Isaiah says, are you afraid of these idols? Do they terrify you? In other words, are you fearing this situation in your life, this circumstance, more than you fear God? Are you concerned about money and, and your finances more than you are respecting the creator who provides for all your needs? Are you more concerned about being uncomfortable? Are you worshiping this comfort? Are you fearing being uncomfortable more than you are presenting your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God? These idols are the very same in our lives that they struggled with in their life. Are you afraid of these idols? Do they terrify you? Are they greater in your eyes than God is. And then he asks, is that why you've lied to me? Telling God, I belong to you, but yet living as if you belong to something else. You know, Jesus and, and, and other passages of scripture say it like this, they honored me with their lips, but their heart was far from me. We say, I belong to you, I love you, I worship you, but we live our lives as if we actually belong and worship other things, our comfort, our finances, our likes, and our dislikes. He says, is that why you've lied to me and forgotten me and my words? 
Are you afraid of these idols? Do they terrify you? Is that why you lied to me and have forgotten me and the vision? Forgotten me and what I've spoken? Have you gotten so distracted with life that you've forgotten the very vision that I've given you? Have you become so fearful of your circumstances and your situation that you've forgotten me and the vision that I spoke over your life, these promises that I spoke of your life? And then he says it right here. He says, is it because of my long silence that you no longer fear me? Is it because I haven't spoken in a long time that you decided I'm just going to give up and go my own way? Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. This happens right here in the scripture. It is easy to forget how good God is, how powerful God is, how amazing God is, how he can do exceedingly and abundantly beyond what we can ask or think, and how easy it is to become overwhelmed by circumstances when it feels like we haven't heard from God in a long, long time. When we lose sight of the vision, we'll stop working with eager anticipation of what God is going to do and what he said he was going to do. And we begin to talk ourselves out of the responsibility to remain faithful because, well, if God's not going to show up, why do I need to continue the way I am going? We give in to the lies of the enemy. We become anxious, impatient, irritable, pessimistic. Everything's negative. Nothing's positive. And it works against God's will and plan for our lives. So think about your own life. Think about when you were believing God for something. But it seems like forever before you got to realize what you were believing God for, before you were able to realize the revelation of that promise. Don't we begin to lose faith and take matters into our own hands? Isn't it so easy to say, well, God's not answering this financial need, so I'm just going to start doing this, 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 and this. It's so easy to... to do that, And I think of a story in the Old Testament like Abraham and Sarah. Here God comes to them in their, their older age. You know, Sarah was so old, she said, my womb's like dust. Right, that's old. Right, right, they're, they're, they're not supposed to be having kids, but God said, you're going to have a baby. And after he says that, it's like 10 years go by, and, and they just got older, and there's no baby. So what did they do? They concoct a plan. They said, well, we're going to help God out, and you can sleep with my maiden, and I'll claim that child as mine, and that will be the one God, God promised. And God's like, no, that's not my plan. That's not my plan. Well, they went along with their plan anyways, and that single decision is the reason why there's war in the Middle East today. So this is what happens. When, when God speaks, he gives vision, but we don't hear from him in a while. There's a tendency to cast off restraint because these negative attitudes, exactly what our enemy desires to creep up in our hearts, begin to overcome the hope we have in the vision that God has given. And when we are discouraged, especially in a church, there uh, begins to work against our unity. There won't be much unity, and there won't be much motivation to try to help anything change to step out and be faithful even when the future seems dark. And we have been going through a kind of a, a slump for probably six months or so now. We've been going through a, a difficult season, a season of transition. And so today, through this message and this series, we're going to begin realigning our hearts with God's will for our church. Today, we're going to be talking about revision. Revision. 
and not revision as in the act of revising, like changing or altering, but revision. The definition of vision is the faculty of being able to see. It is sight. It is observation, perception. Uh, in the spiritual sense, it's an experience of seeing someone or something in a dream or trance or as a supernatural apparition. So that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about revising the ministry or revising our church unless we need to make some changes. But really what we're talking about is re-seeing what God has already spoken. Re-seeing, recapturing that first vision again. And even though we've had some great victories as of late, again, 12 people were baptized a couple weeks ago. We had an amazing sacrificial offering last week, and we continue to rejoice about that. We've experienced some negatives over the last several months. We've had some low attendance, which makes for low energy. Low energy makes for low passion and commitment. And I think if we were honest, we could all say we've felt it to a degree. I mean, when you look around and you see more empty seats than filled seats, that has a negative impact in your heart, even if you're not really thinking about it at the time. But I don't want us to focus on the negative. I want us to focus on where we've come from. Four years ago, we launched our church in this building. But just before we did that, just about six months prior, there was a small group of us that felt God leading us to do something, something different. We had been through a negative situation in another ministry, we knew that God wanted something big for us, but we didn't know what it was, and so we prayed together, and we said, God, what do you want us to do? What are you doing? And 30 of us that Easter met, and we organized officially Vertical Life Church because we knew God was doing something. 30 of us started in a coffee shop, and over the course of a few months, grew to 60 to 70, about what we are now, and we launched four years ago in May with 100 people. I mean, we, we grew fast. And I had pastors who messaged me on Facebook that heard about what we were doing. I wasn't even broadcasting it, but people were hearing what had happened, and they were messaging me, and they're like, man, that is amazing. I, we never hear about churches going with such a small group to 100 that quickly. God was at work. God was moving. I want us to remember what it felt like back in those days if you were there with us, the feeling of the excitement, the, 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 the idea that God was going to do something amazing, that God was going to pour out his spirit and begin to transform this community with the hope through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe that that was an amazing time. But you know what else I believe? I believe the best is yet to come. I don't think our best is over. I believe the best is yet to come. But for us to press into the best, I feel in my spirit, we don't need just fresh vision. We need to revisit our old vision. We need revision. We need to rekindle the fire that burned at the start. We need to, once again, capture that same vision and then launch the faith to go after it. In Hebrews chapter 11, this is considered like the, the hall of faith this is where we, we really hear the description and definition of what faith is. And beginning in verse 1, the writer of Hebrews says this. It says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. So faith, essentially, is living and believing something will be before it is. It's living and believing something is before it 
is. It's living according to spiritual vision, not earthly vision. It is spiritual vision, not earthly vision. And he continues as he lists these examples of faith, the things that these people did. Verse 2 says, Through their faith, people in the days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Though Abel is long dead, he speaks to us by his example. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. Before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Let me just tell you, church, if we're trying to do anything without faith, we might as well quit while we're ahead. That everything we do must be motivated by faith and who God is and what he did through Jesus Christ on the cross. Everything. It's impossible to please God without faith. And anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. You see, before we can live by faith, the writer of Hebrews says it right here, we must believe God exists. That's spiritual vision. And if you look at this world, this unbelieving world, what, is, what do the scientists tell us? They tell us God doesn't exist. They tell us they can explain everything through physics and science and natural laws. They believe that they have a handle on everything that there is. And their assumption is, well, since we can discover it, we can understand it, there must be no God. Well, earthly vision tells us God doesn't exist. But spiritual vision tells us God exists and created the heavens and the earth. We must have spiritual vision. When we have spiritual vision, we believe God exists. There's a promise that says he rewards, lavishly rewards those who diligently seek him. When we have spiritual vision, we believe God exists. It changes everything. If God exists, then who cares if he created in six days? He exists. He can do it. If God exists, then what's the big deal about Jesus rising from the dead? He's God. He can do it, right? And he did it because there's nobody, nobody in the tomb. It changes everything when we have spiritual vision. And then we must understand that what God rewards, what God blesses, what God honors are those who seek God wholeheartedly. One of our core values of our ministry is wholehearted worship which means everything we are is dedicated to God. We hold nothing back, everything. We seek God with everything. When we praise, we praise with all we have. We sing until our guts pour out of our chest. We sing, we serve until we have no strength left. We pray until our knees are worn. Everything we do is wholehearted. We hold nothing back from God. He blesses those who seek him wholeheartedly, expecting to find him. Jesus said, everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks, the door is opened. This is a promise that we have. He rewards those who expect to find him, who expect for him to come through, those who are faithful. We seek him in our relationships. We seek after him in our families. We seek after him in our workplaces. We seek after him in our ministries. We even seek after him in our church. And when we do it in faith, we know he will answer. See, the core concept of this message, the point I want to drive home, is that faith is not just trusting what God says. It is seeing your situation the way God sees it and then having the courage, passion, and unwavering commitment to chase after it. 
If you say you believe, but you don't put action to what you say, your faith is in vain. If you, if you don't do what you hear, Paul or James says that your religion is in vain. If there's no works attached to your faith, then it means nothing. So we can't say we have faith if there's nothing backing what we say. Faith is not just trusting what God says. It's seeing your situation as God sees it and having the courage, passion, and unwavering commitment to chase after it. What did Proverbs 29, 18 say? Blessed are those who keep the law even if there's been no prophetic vision for some time. We believe it. We trust it. We pursue it, even when we haven't heard from God in a long time. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Fear is the opposite of faith. God has not given us a, a spirit of I can't, but a spirit of I can I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He is exceedingly and abundantly able to do beyond what we could ask or even think. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of faith, a spirit of strength, a spirit of power. The minute we say, I can't, what's that say? Fear. Fear. When we say, we'll never fear. I'll never get a promotion at work. Fear. My marriage will never be restored. Fear. My spouse will never fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. We need to see with spiritual eyes, not earthly eyes. When we don't see our situation the way God sees it, there is fear. There is timidity. There's anxiousness. We have more questions than answers, and it makes it difficult in many ways to make a decision. It makes it difficult to believe our circumstances could be any different. And the tendency is, the temptation is, to make hasty decisions out of emotion, out of fear, rather than remaining obedient and trusting what God has already said. This is why, when there's no vision, the people perish or cast off restraint. There's a passage of Scripture that has recently revived in my soul. It's in Ezekiel 37. It's a famous passage of scripture. It's a, the vision of the valley of the dry bones. Matter of fact, one of the songs we sing today mentions this, in the song Tremble. In the valley of dry bones, the prophet Ezekiel is taken by God into a valley that is littered with bones for miles. Reminds me of the movie The Lion King. You guys remember The Lion King? The little baby lions fall into the animal graveyard and the hyenas start to pursue after them and and almost, almost eat them up. It was a very scary moment for me in my youth. I was really rooting for Simba, baby Simba. You know, but, uh, you know, that's what it reminds me of. Just this dark valley filled with bones. And, and God does something really significant here. In, verse, in chapter 37, beginning in verse 1, here's what the word of the Lord says. It says, Lord, the Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit to the, of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and completely dried out. And then he asked me, son of man, can these bones become living people again? Oh, sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. I just want you to put yourself in Ezekiel's place for a minute. 
God's taking you around this valley, and you're seeing all these bones everywhere. Disconnected, disjointed, makes no sense. It's not like there were full skeletons of, of uh, like T-Rexes and all this stuff. If you think like an archaeological dig, it, was, it just made no sense. The bones were littered, scattered everywhere. They were old and dry, which means if you touched them, they'd probably turn to powder. And he asked Ezekiel a question. He says, can these become living people again? And I want you to pay attention to what Ezekiel says. He says, O sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. I'm going to translate this kind of loosely, but if I were Ezekiel and I was looking at those bones and God asked me this question, I'd be like, there ain't no way in this God-created world that that is ever going to happen. Bones don't come back together, God. You know, this ain't like the movies where, you know, the zombie apocalypse, things just start happening. That It doesn't exist. That's not likely that that's going to happen. And it's like what he's saying. It's like, God, only you know the answer to that. Like, I don't want to be rude, God, but that's kind of a dumb question, right? You know, it's just kind of what, what he's throwing out there. But you see, Ezekiel had earthly vision, not spiritual vision. He was looking at this vast valley with all these dry, scattered bones, and the thought of coming for them coming back to life, we know it's humanly impossible. There's no way. It doesn't happen. It's never going to happen without a huge miracle. I'm pretty confident that in his mind, he was just thinking, the future looks bleak. Doesn't look like anything's going to ma be made of this. And I know when I am in a situation that feels like a valley of dry bones, when I'm in a circumstance that feels like a valley of dry bones, and I think that way. There's no, I start to think, you know what? There's no way I'm going to survive this. I, I, I can't get a handle on it. There's no way I, we're going to make it through this. There's no way we can afford to pay for this. This problem is just too big. The thought of ever, this ever working out is never, it, it just doesn't make any sense. I feel like there ain't no way. When you're in the valley of dry bones, the, the devil also comes in and starts pounding you with discouragement and thoughts of giving up because the idea of this ever-changing seems impossible. And what we're really saying is, is what more can we do? We've done all we can do. I, I don't see any effort that I'm going to make making a difference. I don't think that anything that I could do is going to make a difference in this valley unless God comes through with a miracle and I don't even know if God plans on even doing that. I don't know if God even knows what I'm going through or cares even in this moment because he's let me go through this for so long. I, I just don't know. I don't see any change happening. Negative, negative, negative. And if someone were to ask me in a dark valley, could this ever change? My answer would probably be the same. God only knows. God only knows. And since God only knows, why should I even try to do anything different? Why should I try to go for it? Why should I try to pursue change and hope things will improve? And my question is, is why do we think that way when we're in the valley? When we're facing a valley of dry bones? When we're facing a long list of impossibilities and improbabilities? Why do we think that way? Well, it's because we're seeing with earthly vision and not spiritual vision. We're not seeing the circumstance the way God is seeing it. You know, I just think it's funny because the reality is, is Ezekiel's with God. Jesus in Matthew 19, 26 said, humanly speaking, it's impossible, 
With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Ezekiel was with God. He was hanging out in the valley. God was in the valley with him. The right answer wasn't, God, only you know that. The right answer is, yes, with God, all things are possible. That's the right answer. That's where you're seeing things the way God is seeing them. Yes, you think that's a problem? No, God is bigger than any problem. When all we see is a valley of dry bones, we need to stop and remember Him who is exceedingly and abundantly able to do beyond what we could ask or think. That means if you've got to the point where you think you created a circumstance God can't handle, He can do infinitely beyond that. His ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. His ways are higher and beyond anything we could possibly imagine. We need to begin viewing our circumstance from a heavenly view, through spiritual vision, through God's eyes. And as we look at our church, we look at maybe things that aren't going the way we hope for or aren't going exactly to plan or, or some of the negative things. We need to stop and look at our church, our ministry to revision and look at the circumstances through God's eyes. Verse 4 in Ezekiel 37, it says, Then he said to me, Speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, Dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And so I spoke this message just as he told me. Suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. And Ezekiel began to wet himself. That's not in there, but I'm interjecting that. Then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones, then skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath. And then he said, speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath, from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me, and breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and stood up to their feet, a great army. Other translation says, an exceedingly great army. Verse 11, it says, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They're saying, We have become old dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Therefore, prophesy to them and say, This is what the sovereign Lord says, O my people. I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. Then I will bring you back to the land. And when this happens, O my people, you will know that I am the Lord. I will put my spirit in you and you will live again and return home to your own land. And then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. And I have done what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. Let me take a moment today, church, and prophesy over you today. We may have gone through a difficult season, but the sovereign Lord is going to cause you to rise again. He is going to breathe onto you. He's going to bring you to life. He's going to gather an exceedingly great army under the banner of Vertical Life Church and bring us into our own home to the place that he ordained that his name alone will be worshipped. And when he does it, church, you will know that he is the Lord. God didn't see a valley as a bunch of old bones. 
Nor did he see Israel as a defeated nation lost in exile. He saw it exactly as he desired it, created it, and knew it to be. It was an exceedingly vast army of the Lord, a nation of spiritual warriors. And you know what? He doesn't see us as a gathering with lower attendance than before, a church with tighter finances than before. He doesn't see us failing, stagnant, or in decline, or in any way our enemy would try to paint a picture for our church or describe us through his poisonous words of discouragement. No, God sees us as a movement with epic proportions. He sees us as a great light that will lead thousands of faith to faith in Jesus Christ, a movement whose touch will reach the nations. He sees us as a group that will set the masses free and deliver them from their bondage. He sees us as a place where people will experience abundant life in Christ that even now we cannot comprehend its full realization. But this is what God sees. And for this vision that he has spoken over our ministry, this is the vision that he has for our church. And so as Ezekiel prophesied to the bones, I am speaking to the bones of this church, and I say, thus saith the Lord, arise and come to life. Wind blow, bodies breathe in life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Scales fall from our eyes in the name of Jesus that we may see the visions through signs and wonders what the sovereign Lord has proclaimed over our ministry. You know, if I'm not mistaken, Jesus said he was going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We are not destined to defeat, but to rise from the ashes as an exceedingly great army. But you know, for us to realize God's vision, we must pursue after it in faith. We have work to do. We have job, a job to do. You see, Ezekiel couldn't just hear the word of the Lord and expect the miracle. He couldn't just hear it. No, he had to obey it. The bones didn't return together until he prophesied over the bones. The muscle didn't form. The ligaments didn't form until he prophesied over the muscle and the ligaments. The skin didn't come back on until he prophesied over the skin. And the breath did not bring the bodies to life until he prophesied over them to do so. Ezekiel had a job to do. It's not enough just to believe God can we must believe that he will. And we must do the work. We must pursue after the vision that he's given us in faith and obedience. See, faith is not just trusting what God says. It's seeing your situation as God sees it and having the courage, passion, and unwavering commitment to chase after it. Ezekiel, as he was looking at this bleak state of the nation of Israel, he needed a revision for Israel. So he could not only hope in a brighter future, but that he could also join God in his plans to revive a nation. And I believe we too need a revision for our church. So not only can we hope for a brighter future, but that so we can join God in his plans to revive this community. This is why we need a revision. And God has given me a glimpse. He has given me a vision. My times of prayer and fasting and seeking God, he's given me a vision of what Vertical Life Church will be. He's given me a vision with spiritual vision, spiritual eyes of what Vertical Life Church will be. Not if, will. Vertical Life Church is a vibrant, growing church full of passionate worshipers of God. United by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, 
filled with the Spirit and using the gifts of the Spirit to encourage and strengthen one another. Vertical Life Church is a place where the worship is prophetic and it ushers every heart into the kingdom of God, into the throne room of God. Vertical Life Church is a place where the sick are healed, the oppressed are set free, leaders are raised up and sent off to follow God's call in their lives. I see us as a place of significant influence of leadership in our city as we create partnerships with other churches to lead the way for life change in our communities. I see us as a place where children aren't a number, but a core component of our ministry. I see us as a generous church, not only meeting people's needs, but fully funding city projects and building key uh, bridges for godly influence over policymakers and key stakeholders for the kingdom of God and his glory. I see us as a refuge for the hurting and the broken and ground zero for a Holy Spirit revival that would be far-reaching, impacting the masses. I see us as a church that plants other churches and satellite campuses. I see life groups in every city reaching out to every neighborhood and adopting their city for service and goodwill in the communities. This is what I see when I see with God's eyes. Earthly eyes, not even close. But with God's eyes, that's what I see. Earthly eyes focus me on what is right now, but spiritual eyes focus me on what God is growing us into. Because to him, that's where we are right here in this moment. You know, there's a theological term for God. It says God is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere all at the same time. But what we don't often think about is God exists outside of time. He's eternal. He's not bound by time. He's outside of time, which means God is not only in the present, he's also in the past and the future all at the same time. So when God sees us, he doesn't see us just where we are. He sees us where he's leading us to be. He sees us in what we're becoming. He sees us right there in this moment. And not only do I think he can do this, but he's going to do it. And he's already doing it. Three months ago, God placed on my heart, well, really before that, about five or six months ago, God placed it on my heart to begin a ministerial association in the city of Clio because there was a need. Our city leaders were calling out for the churches to come and be united and begin working together and be a place of influence in our city. And God put that burden on my heart. And three months ago, we launched the Clio Ministerial Association. We met for the third time this past month. And already we've begun building relationships with other churches. That's how uh, Celebrate Recovery is happening at New Covenant and Vacation Bible School and the Marriage Conference at Community Church of God. There are plans even now underway to have an all-church worship service uh, as a back-to-school type thing in September where we basically just call on God to revive the city, bless our schools, and create godly influence over our local area. There's ideas and thoughts being put out there that maybe we're going to do an all-city vacation Bible school next year uh, for the summer. God is beginning to build these relationships, and he's using Vertical Life Church to lead the way. Praise God. Praise the Lord for what he's doing. He's not only able and capable, he's already begun. And it's up to us to have the faith and to be humbly obedient to the vision and have the commitment to chase after it, to prioritize his will. One of the easiest ways Satan can derail vision is just to get God's people so busy they can't obey. We have to prioritize his will above and beyond our own. Why? It's because blessed are those who keep the word of the Lord. 
Where there's no prophetic vision, people cast off restraint. But blessed are those who keep the word of the Lord. We need to stay focused on the vision. We need to unify around the vision. We need to give grace to one another in the mistakes, but continue with unwavering commitment and faithfulness in our areas of service. Your presence matters. Your service matters. Your faith matters. Your obedience matters. Your giving matters. Your love matters. Your influence matters. God's placed you in your family, in your sphere of influence for a reason. He wants to use you to build his kingdom and to build this church. As we begin to close, let's just bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. As we begin to go into a time of response. I think it's easy to get excited about vision, especially when we think about all the possibilities as we think about the bones coming together and the army being set out and, and all the victory that is on the way, the difficulty is going through the process and being patiently enduring the process to the promise. It's easy to receive a victory, but it's difficult to patiently endure the process on the way to the promise. And God is calling us into this vision but to get to the promise, we have to go through the process, which means each of us need to surrender and commit ourselves to the vision. That means getting involved. That means praying. That means serving. That means giving. That means elevating God's will above our own, God's plans above our own, recognizing that the souls of the community are more important than anything else that we could possibly hope for or shoot for in this life. That there are literally people all around us on their way to hell, and we have the answer to fix that. And it's Jesus. Jesus is the answer. When he saved you, he saved you to use you as a beacon of hope to those around you. Evangelism isn't just for the pastor. It's for everyone who calls on the name of Jesus. That means your neighbor is your mission field. Your coworker is your mission field. Your lost relative is your mission field. If we're going to chase after this vision, we need to begin in the very center of our lives and say, God, from this day forward, I'm going to pursue this vision by humbly obeying your will for my life. And I'm going to begin by being a light to those around me. I'm going to tell everyone I come in contact with about Jesus. I'm going to find some way. I'm going to love on them. I'm going to speak to them. I'm going to invite them to church. I'm going to start now. I don't, I don't know my neighbors three, three houses down. I'm going to make it a point to connect with them and find some way to tell them about Jesus, to get them to come be a part of what Vertical Life Church is all about. I'm going to work towards the vision. I'm going to pray every day, God, what would you have me to do? What do you want me to do to help this vision come to pass? Where do you want me to get involved? For the next few moments, just right now where we are, ask yourself today, God, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me about my heart Am I the one that casts off restraint? Or am I the blessed one who holds fast to the promise? 
What are you saying to me about my life and my circumstances? God, I'm going through a valley of dry bones right now. You, you know my situation, Lord, seems bleak. If I had to make a determination of my own heart, I would say the, the, the outlook doesn't look good. But God, today I'm choosing today to believe all things are possible with you. That you've not given me a spirit of fear. And that you reward lavishly those who diligently seek you. Today I'm going to choose to trust in you, to hold fast to your promises. That no matter what I face, no matter what situation I go through, I know I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I know you're able to do amazing things above what I could ask or think. From now on, God, nothing is off the table. I'm trusting you for everything that I need. I'm trusting you to come through in every situation. Maybe you're here today, and you've just been a regular church attender, but you've not really gotten involved, and maybe you've not really been passionate or, or really seeking to, to grow into any area of leadership. Maybe leadership has freaked you out because there's an area in your heart you've yet to surrender to God. Right now, just ask God, God, what are you saying to me? And what do you want for me and from me in service to you through the church? How do you want to use me to bring this vision to pass? And today, God, give me the faith to trust in you. With every head, head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around, for the next few moments, we're just going to go to the Lord. And when Tony begins to sing and lead us, I was just going to invite any who feels led of God to come, come down and pray. Maybe you just want to kneel down and pray about a circumstance in your life, maybe a situation you're going through. Or maybe God's been tugging on your heart. Maybe there's an area of ministry that you're like, man, it just hit me. I don't know what to do with it, but there's just something about this area of ministry, this area of our church that God is speaking to me right now. Maybe you just want to come and just kneel down and just seek the Lord on that. Maybe you're dealing with a health issue and you need prayer for healing. I'll be down here. I'd love to pray with you and pray over you. But for the next few moments, just ask God, what are you saying to me? What do you want from me? And how can I partner with you to bring the vision of Vertical Life Church to pass? Father, I just pray for every heart, every soul. You draw every spirit here. I pray against all fear. And I pray, God, that you would begin revival in our hearts today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Slow down, take time. Breathe in, he said. He'd reveal what's to come. The thoughts in his mind always hide. Take courage, my heart. Stay steadfast, my soul. He's in the waiting. He's in the waiting. Oh, hold on to your hope as your triumph unfolds. He's never failing. He's never failing.
here and God has spoken to your heart and there's something that you want to share with the church, we have a microphone down here. We invite you to do that. We're called to encourage one another. And when God speaks to your heart, he gives a word for the church of encouragement. We're encouraged by Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 to speak that prophetic word so that all can be encouraged. So I encourage you to do that. Let's all stand together. For the next few moments, you respond to the Lord either in worship, in prayer, or encouragement. Is this on? I want to share something that happened to me a couple weeks ago. I had to call customer service for a problem I was having. And I got this lady on the phone, and she asked me what my problem was, and I told her. And while she was doing in the computer and putting the information in, I always ask customer service, where are you from? And she says, I'm from Jamaica. And I said, oh, how nice. My son visited there. And she said, you should come visit sometime. And I said, I know, but I can't right now. I says, my husband's got lung cancer. And she goes, oh, I'm so sorry. And she says, I said, don't be. I said, we've given it to God, and he's taking care of it. And she says, amen. And she started quoting Bible verses to me. And I started quoting back to her and said, with you, God, all things are possible. And so we, could, we talked about God a little bit. And then she, my information come up. And we finished the problem I had. And before she let me go, she says, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for getting you today because she says I was down and things were going wrong and because of you by encouraging you I've helped myself and you know you've heard stories like this before where you've mentioned to God about people to someone and it's brought them up encouraged them and so we, we have to be reminded how but God, God's grace and his love that we have and he has in our lives and what he can do for us and he can do for you in your life. son Logan was that answer. He's adopted. So you never know how the prayers will be answered. 
but they will be answered in his way. share with this with you everybody I got a phone call the other day a real good friend of mine passed away and then we get a phone call from my son it, he said dad I went to the doctor and the doctor said I gotta have this back surgery if I don't have it I'm liable to die or if I have it, I'll be in a wheelchair. I said, son, you will not be in a wheelchair. I believe this fully and truly, just from some of the things I've heard from Joey, and he's done a whole lot for my family and stuff, and uh, that you will not be in a wheelchair Look up the man above, and if Joey can't be there for his surgery, the main man will be there at his surgery, uh, and he will prove the doctor wrong. He will walk in two, three days, and the doctor will be shocked to death. And I fully believe that with all my heart and I would like to have you remember my friend Peggy in prayers and uh, my sister-in-law Cindy and her family because we lost my brother and <coughs> It's been hard, but I know we'll make it through. And I talked to Joey, and I told him about my son, and he talked to my son, and he prayed for my son. And I said one thing about Joey, he is the only minister in my life I have met that he will take and pray for you on the phone. And if you're in the hospital, he will make his way to see you and pray for you. And he will always be remembered. Anything he does. And this morning my phone rang. Wake up call. I'm on my way. I woke up. I said, hey, I'm going to go to church. It wasn't because it promised joy, but I just wanted to come and share all these thoughts with me. And if you could, everybody could remember my boy in prayer, especially, I do have the faith he will walk. He will not be in a wheelchair, like they said, for the rest of his life. All right, thank you.
Let's do this, church. Let's pray for Richard. Richard is Leonard's son. And if we could, let's just lift our hands to God. And this is just a sign of dependence on the Lord. Father, we just come to you now on behalf of Richard, Father, in the name of Jesus, trusting in every promise. God, the stripes of Christ were, were uh, received for our healing. God, his blood was shed and poured out to, to heal us, that we'd be healed and whole. And so we just plead the blood of Christ over Richard now in the name of Jesus. And together we agree and say he is healed in Jesus' name, that he wouldn't even need the surgery, Father. God, we just pray for him right now in the spirit, Lord, that you are, are going to touch his body to receive glory from this miraculous healing, that, that he'd be a testimony to the doctors and everyone around, God, that there is a God in heaven who has power beyond all of our troubles and who can do exceedingly and abundantly beyond what we could ask or think. So right now, in the name of Jesus, we just speak to his infirmity. We command it to go in the name of Jesus. God, we just come together in unity and in prayer, and we just agree together that he is healed in Jesus' name, Lord. And we thank you for the good report. We thank you that in a short time, we'll be able to praise you for answered prayer and for that healing in the name of Jesus. God, and I just want to pray for everyone who's struggling with a health issue. Uh, I just pray for uh, the cancer in the name of Jesus, and I command it to go in Jesus' name. I command for every health infirmity, over every difficult pregnancy, over every uh, uh, just ache and pain that is uh, just be constantly endured, every muscle problem, back problem, eye vision problem, God, that that would all be corrected right now in the name of Jesus through the blood of Christ. And Lord, we just lift you up and we praise you for every miracle. God, we just unleash your Holy Spirit now to do his healing work. God, fill us from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet and let our, our present reality come into alignment with your, your word, God, that we are healed in the name of Jesus. And we just praise you, Father, in your precious son's name. Amen. Most of you out there know me by now. My name's John. I am a Celebrate Recovery director, pastor, whatever you want to call it, here in Clio. Um, and most of you know that God's had uh, me and my wife on quite a journey lately and, uh, and certainly given us some awesome blessings. And I know a lot of people out you that there, see out there a, a nice, cool new toy we got. We got a bike, and we've been riding around and really enjoying that, right? Um, and where you see a toy, I see a ministry tool. And uh, it has led to opportunities to share the gospel that I would have never, ever even dreamed of. I certainly, I, I saw it as a possible opportunity, but not anywhere near the degree it's became. Um, God has had us on a journey. We have been chosen to become state representatives for uh, a family of motorcyclists who are Christians in recovery, working on their hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And we have got, been blessed to go to Arkansas to share our story, go to Oklahoma to share our story. We're scheduled in Illinois in the near future. Last night, we rode all the way to Grand Rapids. We, we had a half hour riding through the rain uh, for Christ's sake. And uh, after sharing my story there, I got to see one person come to Christ and a couple, a couple that was doing their best to sit across the room from each other and hadn't talked in months 
into that meeting made a promise to each other to get counseling, to look to God, to make Christ the center of their relationship and try their marriage again. Um, I'm watching this on a daily basis now. I can't explain the blessing it is, but uh, God's working and uh, he's really made this thing into something so much bigger than we could have ever been. So much bigger. Um, but we keep looking to him. But with that said, I want to give an inv invite to everybody in the church here. I'm sharing my testimony in Duran tomorrow, which is going to be one of your closest opportunities. Okay, they're only about 35 minutes away. You don't got, have to go all the way to Little Rock to, to see me speak, okay? Duran United Methodist Church, tomorrow night at 7 p.m. I'm sharing my testimony. Um, if you're just... You just want to be there to support me? Awesome. If you just want to be there to see my testimony, cool. That's great. Hit us up and leave. That's cool. If you want to see what Celebrate Recovery is about, we'd love to, to keep you for a little while. Um, whatever your heart is, uh, I would just love to see everyone here to be there. Thank you. God bless. All right. Thank you. We're going to um, close the service, but before we do, we're going to pass the buckets for our, our offering. Hey, John. You get that one? That's it. Thank you. So if you have your tithes and offerings, we're ready to receive them. And then uh, we'll close in prayer. And I'm just so thankful for everyone here. And I'm excited in the days ahead to see what God is going to be doing in our church. Definitely um, be proactive. Get involved in these upcoming events because you don't want to miss out on the blessing it is to be a part of somebody's miracle. So, Father in heaven, we just thank you for today. We thank you for your spirit. Thank you for being here. Thank you for the encouraging stories and the testimonies. God, thank you for uh, just your goodness. Thank you for the fact that you're never leaving us or forsaking us. You're never uh, abandoning us, God, but you're constantly walking with us, leading us to that abundant life, leading us to the fulfillment of the vision that you've spoken over our ministry. And I just pray for everyone here, God, that they would begin speaking prophetically over their lives, that they wouldn't look at their life with earthly eyes, God, but they'd begin speaking the truth, what you have declared over their lives, or what your will is for their marriage, what your will is for their children, what your will is for their job, their finances, God, that we would begin speaking that just as uh, Ezekiel did in obedience, Lord, and we continue to hold fast to that vision until the promise and the blessing comes. And we know that because you've spoken it, Lord, it will come to pass. So give us that faith, that faith to see with your eyes, to pursue your promises with an unrelenting passion in the name of Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, for all that you do, for all that you're accomplishing, for every uh, dollar that came in today as a seed, Lord. I pray that you would bless that and help it to grow infinitely and have a far greater impact than we could possibly imagine. And we just thank you, God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Come next week. Bring somebody with you. We'll continue in our new series. I was blind.